This is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we've gathered to worship God and study His Word, and we've recorded this lesson for you to help you answer one particular question, what saves us? Perhaps there is no question that is more debated in the religious world today, and it's an amazing thing. God's Word was given to us so that we would know how we can be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and yet the numerous so-called Christian religions can't agree on what saves us. Let's stop all the bickering and arguing over our verses, their verses, and whoever's verses, and let's just take a look at Jesus' verses and find out what the Bible says about the question, what saves us? One of the biggest biblical debates that takes place in our society today is regarding the question of what saves us. Typically, for us, this centers around the issue of baptism, and what we'll often find is that when you have the two sides line up, we'll get our verses, and they'll get their verses, and we all lob them back and forth and launch those little verse grenades at each other and argue and fuss and fight. What I want us to do this morning, however, is just let's take a look at this question. What saves us? And instead of looking at our verses or their verses... You know, what really matters is, what do Jesus' verses say? And I was reading an interesting statement earlier this week. And how often when we're studying our Bible, as we look at the verses that may not say exactly what we expected, we rarely ask ourselves the question, what does this mean? We ask the question, how do you answer this? Well, the reality is we don't answer Bible verses. We look at Bible verses and see what do they mean? What is the message that God has given to us? And it would seem to me that since God sent Jesus to die so that we might be saved, He would give us a clear answer to this question. What saves us? And in fact, what we find in Scripture is repeatedly we are told what saves us. In fact, you'll be surprised to find out that the Scripture does not say that there is one thing that saves us. It does not say that there are five things that save us. Actually, as we go through the Scripture, we'll find out that there are 16 things that the New Testament says saves us. And we're going to piece these things together as we take a look at God's Word this morning, answering the question, what saves us? And at the end, hopefully, we'll know exactly what it is that saves us and what it is that we're supposed to do to be saved by it. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? God and Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you this morning. We're so thankful for your word that reveals all that you would have us do. We're thankful for what it says about our salvation, and we're thankful for the salvation that you've offered us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and his blood. And we pray that you would strengthen us today to have our hearts open, to know what your word says, and to recognize how it all fits together so that we can glorify and honor you and be saved your way. Father, we're thankful for the mercy and the blessing and grace that you have provided for us, and we pray that we'll always look to that and that we'll live accordingly. Father, go with us throughout the remainder of this service. We pray that everything we do glorifies and honors you and is working in accord with your word. Father, watch over us and help us to be your children. If there are any here this morning, Father, that have never been saved by what your scripture says saves us, we pray that you would prick their hearts this morning, that they would be open to your word and that they'll become your children, no longer rebelling against you and rejecting you, but submitting to what you have to say. We thank you, Father, for this message of salvation. 
and pray that we would live accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The very first place that we need to look is Philippians chapter 1 and verse 28. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 28, and we're going to be very quick about this. This really isn't going to take that long. We're just going to take a look at 16 verses that demonstrate. These are not all the verses we could look at. If you get the outlines after it's over, you'll see that several of these have other verses that go along with them. But we're just going to look at one for each of them to show us that the Scripture says what saves us. And in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 28, Paul there talked about not being alarmed by our opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. Where does our salvation come from? It comes from God. We look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. And then here, God is in reference to the Father in Philippians 1.28. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul there wrote, But beloved, excuse me, looking at the wrong verse, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. We recognize that the Father and the Spirit work together in our salvation. And without the work of the Father, without the work of the Spirit, there would be no salvation for us. Look in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. You'll remember in the course of your Bible history that in Acts chapter 4, Peter is being questioned regarding how he healed this lame man. And he points out that it was in verse 10 that it was by the, by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. And then in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 he says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And so we find that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit work together in our salvation. Without their work, there is no way that we can be saved. Without the working of the Father, we couldn't be saved. Without the work of the Son, we would be lost. Without the work of the Spirit, there would be no salvation for us. But it goes on in the Scripture to talk about what they did in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul said that even... Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. In verse 8, it repeats it. For by grace, you have been saved. Grace, of course, is unmerited favor. The working of the Father and the Son and the Spirit extended grace to us. This gift of salvation that we don't deserve and have not earned, if not for God's grace through the working of the Son and the Spirit, there would be no way that we would be saved. There would be no way that we could serve the Lord and have this salvation. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9 demonstrates exactly how God offered His grace through Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul there wrote, "...much more than having now been justified..." By His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. 
What saves us? According to this text, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. God's grace was offered through the atoning work of Jesus Christ's blood. If His blood had not been shed, there would be no way for us to have salvation or forgiveness of sins. As Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. And so the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were working together and offering grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. And without that, there's no way that we could be saved. Look at the beginning of this very letter in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. And I recognize again that we're moving through these very quickly. You can take these notes. I have a few copies of this outline that I have sitting out on the table by the door on the way out of the foyer afterwards that you can study this and some other verses that go along with it. But you just notice that all this is fitting together like a puzzle. The Scripture doesn't say that there's one thing that saves us. It talks about several things that save us. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, the grace that they offered through the blood of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel. Why not, Paul? Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We recognize that the Gospel message, the good news saves us. But of course, where do we find that good news? James chapter 1 and verse 21. In James chapter 1 and verse 21, the Scripture says there, in James chapter 1 and verse 21, James wrote, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the Word implanted which is able to save your souls. What saves us? God's Word saves us. God has given His Word through the Holy Spirit. So see, we're beginning to see how all this works together. The Father, the Son, the Father's plan, the Son's blood, the Spirit's revelation, that is God's Word is given so that we might be saved. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. There, as Paul was writing to Timothy... He pointed out that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We recognize there in that parallel structure, that, that uh, conjunction, that contraction, the conjunction there that brings them together, the and there points out that the salvation comes with the knowledge of the truth. And so we've got God's Word, but it's not enough just that God's Word be there. Now, without God's Word, we couldn't be saved, but, but we've got to know God's Word. We've got to know the truth. As the prophet said in Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Without knowledge of God's Word, we can't be saved. But you notice what the Scripture is pointing out. But it's not just the knowledge of God's Word. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, and by the way, if you get the outline, it says 1 Thessalonians 2.10, but you'll just go ahead and put your pen in there when you get it. I didn't have time to redo it this morning. It says 1 Thessalonians 2.10, the Scripture is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. And the Scripture there, Paul writes, "...and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth..." so as to be saved. It's not enough just to know the truth. We've got to love the truth. I believe I've told you before about a professor that I had in college that I was amazed at how well he knew the Scriptures. He knew what the Bible said. He could quote it to us because he thought it was just a, a great work of literature. In fact, a lot of folks had the idea that the King James Bible was just one of the greatest pieces of English literature. And they know it very well, but he didn't love it. 
It was not that important to him except as a piece of literature. And what Paul points out is that it's not enough just to know the truth. We've got to love the truth so as to be saved. Look in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 24. Romans chapter 8 and verse 24. There Paul said, For in hope we have been saved. We have hope. Well, hope in what? Well, hope in, in all this. In Jesus, in God, in the Spirit. It's our hope. And of course, the hope here is not just wishful thinking. The hope here is the earnest expectation of God's promises as revealed through His Word. And so as we gain the knowledge of the truth and we love the truth, we have that hope, that earnest expectation that what God has said is actually going to come to pass. And what it points out is that it's in hope that we're saved. Our hope saves us. If you look in Romans chapter 10. Verses 9 and 10. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, the Scripture there is very clear. It says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. We find two things in this passage. He points out that with the heart we have faith. Without faith, there is no salvation. If we don't believe, there is no righteousness or justification. But in addition to believing it in our heart, we have to profess that belief with our mouths. And here Paul points out that not only do we have to have faith, we have to confess that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, just as we see the Ethiopian eunuch doing as he confessed, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We've got to have faith. And we've got to confess that faith. But then look in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthians, he talks about the sorrow that he caused because of the sin that had been going on there. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, he says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. What, what does this point out here? We've got to repent if we're going to have salvation. Without repentance, there is no salvation. As Jesus pointed out to those who told Him about the, the tower in Siloam falling on folks, He said, do you think that they're greater sinners than you because this tower fell on He said, no. If you don't repent, you're going to perish. What's His point? Without repentance, there is no salvation. Repentance, of course, is the thinking again about the way we're living and recognizing that when we're doing things our way, it's wrong and we're going to turn and change and do things God's way. Repentance is a change in mind that leads to a change in action. And without that, there is no salvation. It can't happen because we've got to repent in order to be saved. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. There Paul said in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We've got to call on the Lord if we would be saved. Of course, here he's quoting from an Old Testament prophet what, what uh, Joel had said, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How, of course, do we do that? The Acts demonstrated in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, the Scripture says, in Acts 22 and verse 16, Ananias talking to Saul, Why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins 
calling on His name. How do we call on the Lord? We call on His name in baptism. And that's when our sins are washed away. That's salvation. Baptism now saves us. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 says, without calling on the name of the Lord in baptism, our sins are not washed away and we will not be saved. And finally, look in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22, Jesus points out to His disciples, you will be hated by all because of Me, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. And so if we want to be saved, we have to endure to the end. And of course, what that states is that there are going to be some who don't endure. There are going to be some because they're hated by the world because of the hardships of being a child of God. They don't continue on. And what Jesus points out is if they don't continue on, they're not going to be saved. And so as we take a look at all of this, we recognize that there's actually a big picture that God provides us that talks about how we're going to be saved. This is not about one issue. This is about all of this going together in order to produce for us salvation. Far too often when we talk about salvation, we end up arguing about baptism, which is clearly on this list, but the issue of salvation is not just about baptism. Sad to say, a lot of times we end up just converting folks to baptism and not really converting them to the message of Jesus Christ about salvation because it takes all of this. You remember what it says in Psalm 119 and verse 160? Psalm 119 and verse 160 in the New American Standard Translation. In Psalm 119 and verse 160, there the psalmist wrote, The sum of your word is truth. The sum of it. In other words, if all I do is just pick out one verse or or two verses, I don't have the sum of God's word. I don't have the truth. No doubt it comes from the source of truth, but I've got to have the sum of it. I've got to have all of it. And so as we take a look at this, I mean, we've gone to 16 verses, and if if we were going to argue the way we normally argue, there's going to be some that that would pick on... Ephesians chapter 2 over here, and they'd get grace, and there'd be some that, that'd pick on James 1.21 here, and then there'd be some other stuff on Acts 2.38 up here with baptism, and Romans 10.9-10 with confession. We'd be lobbing those back and forth. And the question that we have to ask, now we've looked at all 16 of those verses. Would you all agree that all 16 of those verses said that these things save us? Everybody agree with that? I mean, you saw it right there if you were reading along with me. Now, here's my question. Which one of those verses was right? Every single one of them are right, aren't they? Because they're all Jesus verses. Those aren't my verses. Those aren't your verses. Those are Jesus verses. And every single one of them are right. And so what we recognize from this is what happens if I decide to dispense with one of these verses? What if I decide that one of these verses isn't right? And let's just say... I get rid of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5 and say it's really not about God's grace. It doesn't matter God's grace. I've done all this. Look at all this. I've been baptized. I believe. I, I know the gospel. I love the truth. I'm enduring. I've got God's Word in my heart. Uh, it, it's not about grace. Grace isn't there at all. What happens if I remove God's grace? There's no salvation because Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5 says it's by grace that we're saved. And if we remove God's grace from the picture, there is no salvation. Boy, if on the other hand... I remove 1 Peter 3.21 and Acts 22.16 and Mark 16.16. 16. And I get rid of all those verses. I say, well, those verses aren't right because after all, Ephesians 2 says it's God's grace. And so those verses that said baptism, those verses can't be right. Well, what happens? You know, those verses are just as right as these verses. 
When I remove that from this whole big picture of God's plan of salvation, I don't have the complete picture. There is no salvation. I've got to have all of it if we're going to be saved. But here, interestingly, we've also got to make this point. I recognize that all 16 of those verses said that those things save us. And the tendency that some of us have is we find a verse that says such and such saves us and we grab a hold of that one and act as though that's the only thing in the Scripture that really matters is whatever that one verse says. But let's just say we went to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. Remember, it said we should receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Well, what happened if we did just go to that verse? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. You remember what it said? Let's just read it. Just make sure we've, we've got it in our minds here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. I love the truth. There it is. I love the truth. I read the Word all the time. I love what it says. That means I'm saved. It doesn't matter what I do. It just matters what's in my heart. It matters how sincere I am. Have you ever heard folks say that? It really doesn't matter what I actually believe or what I actually do as long as I love God in my heart. But what if this is 2 Thessalonians 2.10? It says that saves me. What about all those other verses? I can't really love the truth if I'm going to ignore all those other verses, can I? In the same manner, I can't just go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 that says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. I can't go to that verse either. I can't land on that one and say, oh, there it is, 1 Peter 3, 21. Baptism now saves me. I got baptized. Nothing else matters. doesn't really matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what my hope is. It doesn't matter if I follow what God says. It doesn't matter if I endure on. I got baptized. And that's all that matters because 1 Peter 3, 21 says, baptism now saves us. What about all those other verses that were in God's big picture of salvation? I've got to follow all of those. That's got to be a part of all of that. And really what we learn from this is that there is a good reason why all these verses don't mention all 16 of these things. Look, could you imagine how long the Bible would really be if in every verse, every verse had to include every single thing about God's law? It'd be huge. The point is, there's a, a figure of speech. It's called... Metonymy, part for the whole. And what we really realize is, from 1 Peter chapter 3, 21, Acts 22, 16, and others that talk about baptism, is that if I don't have all those other things in the picture, then it's not really baptism. If I don't have faith in God, it's not really baptism. Not the Bible baptism. I mean, I may have gotten, excuse me, dunked under the water, but it's not really Bible baptism. If I don't have all these things together, it's not loving the truth. There's no real hope there if it's not based on God's Word and and the Father's work and the Spirit and the Son and the blood of Christ and the Gospel. If I don't have all of it, then I really don't have any of it. And that's why we can go to Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31... The jailer asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Why could they just pick out the one word, faith? Why could they just pick that out? Whoops. Got ahead of myself. Why, why could they just pick out faith? I left the slide out. Why could they, because they weren't just picking out faith. 
See, the fact is, if they really believed the Lord Jesus, what would they do? Well, they're going to do all this. They're going to believe in the Father, the work of the Son, the Word of the Spirit. That's going to cause them, because they know the truth and love the truth, to repent so that the blood of Jesus can wash their sins away. They're going to confess their faith that they have, calling on the Lord in baptism, and then they're going to endure. And because of that, God's grace is going to wash his sins away. See how it all goes together? And so they, they pull out the word faith there, not because that's it, but because that actually represents the whole big picture. But he didn't have to say, well, you know, what, what am I going to do to be saved? Well, first of all, you've got to understand about God and the Father, and then here's the big picture. He didn't have to put all that in every verse. But we can read all these verses and recognize how the whole big picture goes together. And so we look in Acts 15 and verse 11. And in Acts chapter 15 and verse 11, there, Peter, as he was talking on the day that they had their counsel about circumcision, he said, we believe that we're saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Well, let's, let's, just, you know, let's just pick that one. That's it. It's the grace of Jesus. I mean, who would deny that we're saved by the grace of Christ? I wouldn't deny that. It's right there in black and white. Saved by grace. I mean, we can't earn it. There's no amount of the rest of this picture that when we're done with the rest of that picture, we somehow now deserve salvation. But without the rest of this picture, there is no salvation because upon whom does God grant His grace? Well, as, as it said there in Acts 16, 30 and 31, those who believe. In Acts 22, 16, those who call on the Lord in baptism. Those who know the truth. Those who love the truth. Those who die with Christ and so His blood washes their sins away. And so, how do, we, how do we get this whole picture? By following every single one of these verses. You know, amazing me regarding... We'll just back up here. Regarding this whole thing about grace. I know my wife had a conversation with some friends of hers just within the past two or three weeks, I think it was. Oh, if there's absolutely anything we have to do, that means it's not by grace. If you have to do anything, it's not a gift of God. How many of you have to drive up 65 North coming from the Spring Hill area? Anybody? I'll tell you what. Sometime this week, just drive down 65 and then get to, uh, I can't remember exactly where it is on the, on the highway, but go on, you can go down to Saturn Parkway, I know you see if you go down there and turn around, and come back, watch the right side of the road, there's a great billboard out there that has from some denomination, and I, I don't remember which one, so I won't mention any names, but it has this, this great sign, it talks about Jesus and how awesome He is, and, and that they have a free gift for you. Free gift. But let me tell you, it's not just going to show up on your doorstep because in order to get their free gift, you have to do something. You have to call them. I keep telling Marie, we've got to get a camera and get a picture of this billboard. Because you see, when it comes to salvation, folks think that because it's a free gift, you don't have to do anything. But you know, in every other walk of life, we realize that a free gift still might have conditions. If you want that free gift that that denomination is offering, you still got to call them. Right? You, you're listening to the radio one day. And they say, we've got a free gift here waiting for the first ten callers. If you want it, what do you got to do? You got to call. And you got to be one of those first ten callers. And then, of course, anybody ever want anything from a radio station? Did they send it to your house? Oh, they sent yours? Okay. I've never, and if I remember anything, they never sent it to me. I always had to go to the station and pick it up. And if I told them, hey, wait a minute. 
That's a free gift. Why, you're trying to make me work for it and earn it. And so I, I go to the station and, oh, I wish I'd won $10,000 from a radio station one day. But I, what I sit there and, let me ask you, if you'd won from a radio station $10,000, this free gift, and they said you had to come up and pick it up, how many of us would argue, wait a minute, you said it was a free gift? I mean, before the phone was hung up, we'd be at the station, wouldn't we? Because we recognize it in those things, and I don't understand what it is about this big picture of God's salvation that we don't recognize it there. What is it about believing in Jesus Christ that suddenly means it's no longer grace? What is it about turning away from our sins that makes us think that, oh, that's working to earn salvation? What is it about being dunked under some water that causes folks to say, oh, you're trying to earn salvation? i got to tell you, <laughs> if God was going to provide some type of way for us to earn salvation, having somebody push us under the water would not be it. It would look a lot more like what you read in the book of Leviticus. That's what it would look like. There's no earning going on here. It's all by God's grace. But the fact is, if we want this salvation, we have to understand how God's grace works as a part of this big picture. And I hope what you can see is as we go through the Scripture that now, I didn't take any of these passages out of context. We, all, there it is. All those things save us, and we have to again ask the question. Here's these 16 verses. They all say these things save us. Which verse is right? Well, they're all right. So which verse do we need to follow? I think we need to follow all of them. And if we follow 15 of them, that's not going to work. If we follow ten of them, one of them, it's not going to work. This is God's big picture of what saves us. And if we want to be saved, we've got to be saved God's way. We've got to do what He says. He's done His part. We've got to do our part. And so the question for you is, have you obeyed all these verses? If you want to be saved, you have to. I certainly hope our look at this Bible answer to the question, what saves us, was beneficial to you as you strive to answer that question. Let's remember what we learned here. All 16 of those things listed, we're told by the Bible that all of them save us. Whether we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Spirit or the Holy Spirit, Jesus' blood, the gospel of Jesus, the word of God, knowing the truth, loving the truth, hope, faith, confession, repentance, calling on the name of the Lord, baptism, and enduring to the end. Whatever we're talking about in that list, the Bible says those things save us. And we've learned that we can't drop any of those off the list, nor can we just pick out one of them. We have to take all of them. Because again, the question is, which of those verses is right? All of them are right. So which of those verses must we follow? All of them. If you have any questions about what saves us, about what you need to do if you desire to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, or if you have any questions about the Franklin Church of Christ, would you please contact us by calling 615-794-2359. Or you can contact us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. If someone gave you this lesson, 
let me invite you to come to our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons that you're free to download in audio and outline format. You can read those or listen to those or distribute them in any way that you believe will benefit God and His people. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.